0: Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice.
1: (laughs) The old school closet days. I can't believe we were doing that.
0: Man, <laughs> like a three by
1: three room. Oh man, it
0: got so damn hot. With all the We're pillows just breaking and the blankets a sweat. and everything.
1: Or that was our high quality sound tech, it was absorbing all the unnecessary wavelengths, <laughs> and all we needed was good microphones. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yo, did you hear about the uh Stanford goalie who committed suicide? Uh, yep. Isn't that crazy? That's absolutely nuts. Like, I guess I mean I didn't read too much about it, but the little bit I read, they was talking about just the pressures of school and the sports put Sport. together. And I think right now it's it's like I don't quote me, but I think it might be the fourth incident like this from Stanford in the last couple Man. of years. Yeah, so I mean, it makes a lot of sense because Stanford's like a high yeah, academic Stanford. achieving you know and then you got the high sports like soccer and stanford's pretty high regarded you know um but it made me think to myself just like the psychological side of like you know like sports psychology right where like when you're at that level you are already you have to identify yourself as a soccer player right and it just kind of made me think like Uh, at a much lower level like I identified myself as a football player or like an athlete and when I was injured I thought to myself like fuck what What am I going to do right luckily enough what I did with my injury is I just put it off to the end of football right like at the end of my my playing I was just like okay now I'm gonna go get this fixed what if you're dealing with something that is like the linchpin of your performance like you know like the we always talk about how ACL—you don't necessarily need to repair it—but if you are a soccer player and you want to play the remainder of your three years in NCAA, you're gonna go get that fixed, right? Oh yeah, probably. um, right. And it, and it just thought—I just thought to myself, just like there's there needs to be a psychological support for that because would like you know it must be rough so i'm gonna i'm gonna transfer this over to you and ask you like have you had any like big injuries throughout your playing career
0: i've had and before we dig into that i think that if you asked me four years ago about sports psychology and if it was worth it i probably would have said no but the more i read and the more mature i get i think that high performing athletes should definitely go to whatever sports psychologists they can find because not only for their mental health and everything but i it's also great for performance and like mm-hmm. performance anxiety and all of that stuff. So just want to get that out there. Yeah. Um, in regards to injuries, yes. Um, when I was playing my first year in college, I missed a lot due to a left shoulder injury, uh, mm. kind of like rear dealt, um, my throwing arm, obviously I miss a lot of games and PT slash rehab was absolute shit. <laughs> they only gave me like, so this was the the recipe. I went there. It was Easton and like the hot pack. And then after that, a massage. And then after that, um ther- TheraBands, like external, internal rotation. That was it. No real rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, And uh-huh. I think it was due to shitty programming from myself. I mean, I was a freshman. I didn't know what I was doing.
1: Mm -hmm. plus our
0: team programming was it was a joke like a literal joke
1: when it comes to the so i always think about it like this is all right so you have this injury and you have a very subpar training program to Uh, help mitigate risk and then you also have a really subpar rehab to bring you back to the place that you were prior to the injury do you think that if the right protocols were in place do you think you could have tried to either match or beat the natural regression to the mean you know what i'm saying like
0: i I think probably because it was a an overload injury it wasn't like a specific thing that i got Mm -hmm. hurt Uh, Because I went from playing high school ball, which we practiced, what, in PR two days per week, plus what I did, like, on my own in college, we practiced twice per day. Ah. So that's, like, I don't know how much percent increase. It's easily, like, 500% increase on the volume that my arm was handling. So, obviously, I was going to get hurt if I wasn't physically strong and physically fit for whatever I was going to do because it was Uh – gym and then like you go to the ballpark and then you go to the ballpark again so that's a lot of practice and load that my arm couldn't handle at the moment
1: right you know i think is crazy is is it seems so damn simple that i think that's why most people just neglect the load management aspect of things like for example the non-contact acl tears and they just go oh the reason why that happened is because they're cutting with pronation You know, and that's that right there over a thousand cycles over their career is the reason why that was the straw that broke the camel back and they tore their ACL. And it's just like, why are you neglecting the years of, you know, overload that they maybe have not, you know, recovered from or any of of those variables? But instead, we're just trying to blame that one movement because I guess we see it right like they're they're playing into that post hoc uh, confirmation bias. Like, no, no, no. I saw the internal rotation at the hip and the pro, you know pronation of the foot and that's what caused the ACL tear not the lack of sleep the high levels of stress you know poor recovery i just don't understand that
0: it's easier to blame us sp- one specific movement rather than being analytical and looking at the big picture 100% easier
1: i uh i you know to circle back you you peaked you know, like a thought process of you know when w- there should be a I like the idea of like all high level athletes having a sports psychologist just because it's kind of the same idea when we talk about pain, right? The more we focus on getting rid of pain or just making pain the focal point, the ability for us to turn an anthill into a mountain is is huge, right? So like why don't we have the, like the same thought process when it comes to like, let's say, let's just say a layup right or or i'm sorry let's say a free throw or let's say just setting up the golf shot if you are thinking about a million different things right it's just going to throw off your game completely right and it's just like our body or at least our brain has this ability to magnify and focus on something and it becomes the president's and you know we know in sport performance if you are actively thinking about one thing that's not the, the game itself in the present time, you're going to be behind a couple steps, right? That's the people that are in the quote unquote flow state is the yep. ones that are performing at their highest level. yep Um, yeah, I just think that's a very interesting thought how it's still lacking. You know, I have a client that told, talked to me about like how she wants to be a sports psychologist. And I, I picked her brain. I was like, cause my initial thought process was, Ooh, job security. You know, I was just like, is there a lot of jobs out there? I don't know much about it, but there's definitely a need for it, right? There's 100% a need for it because not – it's the same idea of like, you know, the different specialties and MDs, right? Like when it comes down to it, a regular therapist probably wouldn't be able to uh, connect with an athlete, you know, an athlete saying like, I, you know, I, I freak out every time I get on the field or every time I step on the ice or so on and so forth Well, the person's like, well, that's not pathological. So you're fine. (laughs) They don't have the, yeah,
0: it's definitely
1: not the same. The, um, so tell me a little bit more about the process of you rehabbing your shoulder. You're, you're a freshman in college and did it bother you psychologically at all?
0: It did bother me psychologically because obviously first season, missing games, no athlete wants that because <laughs> you got to do your thing. I mean, you got to succeed and be good because you're going to get kicked out of the team, obviously. Um. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but in regards to the rehab process, I, I mean, I knew that what they were doing in PT was BS. So I just stopped mm-hmm. going <laughs> like two weeks in. I just stopped and just managed to train on myself. And yep. eventually I got better. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it was time and uh, honestly time and that I just got a bit stronger because obviously in like what one or two months you're not gonna get super strong. Mm-hmm. But it did it, it worked. Um, but yeah, I mean it obviously takes a psychological toll because it's your first season, you're ready to crush it or whatever or try to. Um, mm-hmm. And boom, first month, then you lose game, so it takes a psychological toll obviously,
1: right. Right. And, and so uh, I'm also curious about the so you, you you went through your own little thing with the rehab and uh, we know that like kind of like keeping it general can do a lot for the, you know, the, the rehab process. I'm just curious if you did anything in quote unquote specific to bring yourself back to baseline to be ready for the game time performance.
0: Not really specific. Um, A lot of rear tilt flies and a lot of overhead presses. And mm-hmm. just progressive throwing, like, started at 30 feet, then the next two days at 50, blah, 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 blah. Because throwing was the biggest issue. just um, gotcha. es- Especially after, like, the after effect, like, a few hours after the game or a few hours after throwing, that's when it really hurt. So it was probably a volume issue now that mm-hmm. I know what I know. But at the moment, I had no idea what was going on. Um, so just those were the two things. And then eventually, I didn't feel anything. And I still get it, like lifting overhead, like when I'm lifting, like for example, a barbell. Which way? I still get that sensation in the left rear delt. That's kind of painful, but uh, I just ignore
1: it. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask you something. It was in regards to baseball. Oh, what's this whole idea? I mean, like I immediately I think it's bullshit, and you could tell me if I'm wrong. But like the whole idea of like pitchers shouldn't be bench pressing. That's uh, what's, bullshit. Okay, like well, I didn't know if there was like some type of uh, orthochematics that I don't nope. know about, and they they okay. still
0: say that pitchers should only lift um, lightweights for upper body and only uh, heavy lower body. Yep. Yeah, which I don't doesn't understand work, that. obviously. I mean, there's they they still think that if you lift weights, you're going to get tight, and then if you are tight, you're not going to ah. be able to throw
1: efficiently and optimally. Okay, that's the the thought process. That's the reason they... behind okay. it. Yeah, you're going to get very okay. tight. Yep. See, like, I can get behind the idea of, like, okay, we're gonna limit the upper body stimulus because of load management, right? Season, but, yeah. Right, I get that, right? But then at the end of the day, you also still have to do it off season because it's not horsepower the behind it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was just curious about that because I always hear it being thrown around, and of course, like. I'm always I'm always skeptical but I also always want to give everybody their due diligence right like I want somebody that's been in the field to tell me like oh no 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 this is why we do it xyz because yep. there's some stuff that may not have a practical application when it comes to like the science realm but maybe like the actual performance or the mm-hmm. game realm and that's why I wanted to ask because you know that sometimes the Practical application and for the actual game time versus a science is is different, like because you're playing against rules that aren't necessarily like so. All right, so for example, uh, CrossFit, everybody shits on the pull-up, right? Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's optimal for lack growth. That's not what they're going for. the The, the game, the rule is get this what we call a pull-up as many times in a certain amount of like you know time That's the limit. Sport, yeah. Right. So that's why I was curious, like, okay, maybe this is helping a sports specific rule nope. or something that I don't know. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> okay, <all>. gotcha.
0: <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I, but I uh, honestly think like, uh, even though I missed games for that injury, I think that the, the injury that has sucked the most physically and psychologically has been the PhD because that okay. is very annoying mm-hmm. and very long lasting.
1: Mm hmm. I'm going through the same thing but for my fucking knee right now, man. Um but patellar. Uh it's uh, granted I would say like I would deal with I'd rather deal with mine than deal with yours because you were telling me like when you sat it reminded you that you had it versus for me it's only deep squats right now. That's I I it reminds me um uh, because leg extensions I might be a little icky, but like it's gone immediately after like a couple Nothing reps. Big. Uh, right. But dude, I'll tell you what, like that's, it's almost like a, uh, Pandora's box, right? Like, so as soon as I go to squat, I, I'm like, Oh man, I'm feeling good. And then I hit that certain depth and then it just <laughs> fucking there. Sharp, it's like, oh! Yeah. Um, this is something that I think would some people would benefit from is I had two long standing, oh, I mean, I have a quite a bit of injuries, but when it comes to, uh, improperly load managing in the gym, um that i think that i babied a little bit too much so for example f- quarters one through three i had that i think it was basically it w- It felt like a, a partial quad tear like, like oh i the, remember yeah yeah it, it it felt like something was going on there and like any time that we placed tension through that area it was it hurt it absolutely hurt and my thought process was like, you know, isometrics kind of desensitized, try to do something like that, but it just wasn't going away. But then, you know, as you know, you you start to get more wise as you go through the programming and stuff like that, what really rehab that knee was just basically saying, fuck it. (laughs) Like I'm going to load this thing and it, I'm going to, I'm going to run the wheels off this thing and see what happens. And it was in the middle of our, programming the the bench squat deadlift overhead press programming that one day I just woke up went to go do an exercise and it was gone it was just just was no longer there anymore and Miracle. It, right it, it just got to it made me think to myself just like wow like I've been de- I've been babying this injury and I may granted maybe that was when the timeline ended who knows right but it, also I'm doing this this patellar tendonopathy right now like with the new programming I'm doing and I'm just taking the same mindset of just like, fuck it. If it goes, it goes, right? And smart now... again, yeah. Exactly. And, and I'll tell you what, man. Like, even though I have the same amount of achiness in my knee, I'm lifting more and more weight, you know? And that's progress, right? Oh, yeah. So I just wanted to put that to the forefront and just, you know, people that might be dealing with an injury, you might be babying it. I was babying it. I think that I could have gotten back to the grind much sooner if I just went to a, a program um you know, made sure my variables were in line and just made sure I progressively overloaded nothing too crazy, but just kept it steady going up you know
0: yeah, and that's a conversation that I had with a patient um this past week and I told him that hey, maybe just maybe your lack of recovery for your pain is your mindset um like maybe you're fearing too much that shoulder pain that you're avoiding everything so. Just try poking the bear. Try doing things that you love and like, mm-hmm. enjoy doing. And my guess is that you'll get better, because um, a lot mm. of times when you are in pain, that pain is preventing you from doing something that you enjoy doing, and you stop mm-hmm. doing it. That takes a toll on you. Um, so when you start reintroducing the things that you loved to do, you are gonna get better.
1: Oh yeah, you know, I I think I had somebody to what was it last Wednesday. And he's had this, he had a labrum tear, he had a, he had a labrum tear. And I was like, dude, I have a labrum tear. And he's just like, anytime the body is like basically, anytime the shoulders in that position that it used to dislocate pain almighty. Right. And I asked him, I was like, you got the surgery and everything. And it's been two years. Do you honestly think there's something structurally wrong with you? And he goes, I don't know. And I was like, if I had a million dollars, which I don't, but if I had a million dollars, I'd put all my money on. To say that your shoulder is structurally fine. He goes, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would I be in pain? And then I started to talk to him about the predictive processing and and how, you know, sometimes pain is protective. And sometimes our body takes signals from a certain area and kind of there's a miscommunication. And he's like, that makes a lot of sense. And it just, uh, you know, uh, it still blows my mind that nobody kind of breaks down pain in a simplistic way saying like, well, sometimes it just isn't damage. Sometimes it's just, you know, you got to get back into that area and just build confidence. And we started to do some uh, peck flies and stuff like that. Obviously in pain, the first like four reps. And guess what? Rep six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, no pain. And it's simplistic stuff like that. You need to have conversations with people because lingering injuries, like so like back to the whole like sport and injury conversation we were having like if you're scared to cut because you know you had a torn acl which is a very common thing right like i like i don't want to cut i tore my ACL like this before i don't want to do it again if your rehab programming doesn't have cutting at the end like you are doing this person a disservice because it's just gonna snowball into a worse and worse fear of not wanting to go yep. into that range of motion you know
0: yeah with those <clears throat> chronic injuries or chronic pain it's almost like you got to retrain your brain because of the whole
1: predictive processing and just the conditioning that you have. Right. And, and, um, you know, and that's, I think that's what happened with, I think that's what a lot of where rehab today fails in the traditional sense. Like when they go to rehab after, because nobody educates them upfront. So for example, I have two patients, they both, uh, started rehab. And there's, these are big surgeries. One was a total hip replacement and another one was a total knee replacement. Both, both gave me the, the line of like, yeah, I started to go there. <clears throat> and after two weeks I was doing the same exercises. So I just figured out oh, I can do this at home. They don't understand that, that, that it's a, a progressive scheme. Granted, I'm not going to defend traditional rehab because I don't know what they're doing or anything like that, but you know they just under they just thought like oh, okay i'm just gonna do these exercises until i feel better it's and just that's like it, yeah right like tke it's like bro like that's that's not the cream that's not the tip of the iceberg like you, <laughs> you 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 have to keep working towards something so now this of course this guy's walking in he looks wonky with his hip it's deconditioned and then also he just yeah it's deconditioned and it hurts and it's just like okay well I'm going to have to work with you now and we're going to have to make sure that this hip is at least stable underneath single leg support because you know when you walk, you're going to be in at least single leg support a hundred times a day. Um, But I think that's what you need to do if you're going to go down the rehab route with somebody. This is kind of answering slightly the question that we got, but we should do a whole podcast on it. But it's just like how... How do you set up a rehab clinic that's successful? It starts with telling them, like, "Hey, this is your timeline, and this is what I would like to do with you throughout this timeline. You're not going to be at terminal knee extensions for long, however, you still need to do them, and I need to see you in a couple weeks or so on and so forth." It's, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off my my soapbox here, but like, <laughs> it's 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 kind of, I just think it's nuts yeah, but, for yeah, for somebody agree. to have that, like, yeah. Dude, a total hip surgery, like re, uh, replacement. You know how many muscles they had to get cut through and replaced reattached? And this person just thought like, "Oh yeah, these leg extensions, I'll just do these and when I master them, I'm good to go." He was but a big that's,
0: dude. That's probably fault of the the therapist that was treating him.
1: That's yeah, I agree probably. with that. Like you have the I think that's the one thing that I'm also working on uh, to be better with is giving people a I'm not like when I say timeline, I'm not saying like six to eight weeks. I mean, like uh, I like to give people a timeline of what I would like to do with them up front. Hey, this is a general timeline that I would like to do with you. Phase one would look like this. Phase two would look like this. Phase three would look like this. Now, granted, if you're progressing faster, two could be real quick. We can even skip over a phase, you know, and that gives them at least an idea because, I, I like. I, I don't like to say, "Hey, here's a treatment plan. You're coming here for 30 days. You yeah, are 30 treatments." Uh, but I also don't like to say, "Hey, we'll we'll see what happens next week," because it doesn't really give them the light at the end of the tunnel either. You know. So I like to say, like, "Here, this is what I'd like to do with you for the next uh, couple of visits." Now, granted, you can see me more often, and we can change more often, like the, tailor the program more towards you, or. Or you do this, and then when you master that, you come see me again, you know, so I can check in on you. And I think that has been the proper balance, for me at least, between the business side and also the practitioner side, you know? Yeah, with
0: clients, I like to tell them like, hey, this is what I like to do with you, but... What do you think? Like, would mm-hmm. you like this? Would you like to do something else? Would you not like to do this? And that way they f- they feel like they're engaged in the whole rehab process rather than me yep. telling them, okay, so this is probably going to take 8 to 12 weeks. So you're going to mm-hmm. do this for the first four weeks and then this for the other week. So it's like, no, I think this is what's going on. This is how I would address it. So what do you want to yep.
1: do? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Ultimately, you got to put it in the-, the ball in their court for 100%. Yep. And then, you know, when, and that's also a good, great feeling, at least for me as a, as a new doc in the independent contractor space, is when you lay it out to them and you give them the option and they say, let's do it. You're like, all right, all the pressure's off because I'm, I'm, you and you know, me, I always pocket watch for other people. I don't want to be having them spend all their money on something that I don't think is necessarily needed. Right. And when they say like, you know what? Let's do this, let's do this, And you know, obviously it's not like, "Hey, let's put your name down on a contract and make sure that you come do this." But when they say, "Let's do this, it takes that pressure off, like okay, we have we we have an understanding, and let's let's get better together, you know, yep, it's um, and it
0: might seem simple for us, but for them, it's very valuable because they don't know how to navigate through this injuries and pain,
1: yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. Um, we've been saying this for years now, like how communication is so underrated, but now I'm seeing it from not just the educational side, but also the business side and also just the reassurance. Like there's so many different aspects of communication that is overlooked tremendously by just saying like, Oh yeah, words, you know, words can hurt. And like, yeah, they can 100%, but like, you also have to consider all these different aspects of the communication, like that is the the vehicle to a good patient rapport, and if you have a shitty vehicle, you have a shitty patient rapport, and we both know what happens after that, you know, yep,
0: communication is key ah oh, man
1: we're gonna we're gonna sound like broken records by the end of this podcast, just communication communication communication
0: <laughs> I mean <laughs> it's the base of the whole process, so.
1: Shameless 100. plug. Oh.
0: That's why we are so huge into setting up expectations and communication and injury timelines under seminar.
1: Because I mean you you have to know all of this stuff. Exactly. And you gotta know how to articulate it to the person in front of you. It changes. It changes like you know, if you're talking to another doc that just needs like more guidance or c- accountability, you could be more upright and forthright. You and know, you can use, use exactly if you want. Right, exactly. Then you have people that like, "Yo dude, I'm a construction worker and uh tell me when I can get back to work." That's just like, "Okay, well." And you just got to break it down to them cuz that's all they care about.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to know who you're talking to. Like if it's a psychologist, then yes, you can throw in the whole predictive processing and Pavlovian conditioning and this is what's happening with your behavior. But if it's someone that doesn't know anything and that is not the Smartest person is like okay. Every time that you do this, your brain associates it with this. Blah blah blah. So mm-hmm, you, you just mm-hmm. have to know who you're talking to, uh and level up with them.
1: Yep. You know that's uh. I guess like we can put a pin in it after this is um. I just find it. It's it's kind of like a dangerous game where you you gotta explain it to a certain person, right? And you gotta match it to their education level and their understanding level, their level of understanding. Um, but then you gotta, you you have to simplify it, right? You're playing that dangerous game of like, when you get almost too simple, it becomes incorrect. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, how do you navigate that space where it it becomes too simple? Now you're actually telling the guy fib almost, you know?
0: Yeah. Finding a balance.
1: Yeah, dude. In the middle of this podcast, I bit my nail and I opened myself up. Dude, my hands are jacked up. Right now, I have like three cuts on both my arms, and I use my hands on a daily basis.
0: Got to start doing mental therapy with your feet,
1: dude. Like these, these, these uh, patients are probably like, dude, this is the fourth band Band-Aid on a different finger this week. What are you fucking doing?
0: Where do you place <laughs> your fingers, dude?
1: <to? laughs> like, yeah, what do you what do you do with those fingers when I'm when I'm not around? <laughs> 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 All right, well, well we're gonna put a fi- we're gonna put a pen in this one. Yep.